0: Uh, Sometimes I've had really good thoughts, great thoughts, but so often I have pretty strange thoughts. Um, It makes me wonder about things. Here's some of the things I wonder about. What happens when you're driving the speed of light and you turn your headlights on? What's going to happen? I have no idea, but I do wonder. Here's another weird thought I have. Why don't psychics predict the winning lottery numbers and then retire? I have no idea, but I sure wonder about that. Here's another one. Why isn't the number 11 pronounced 21? I have no idea, but I really think it should be. We need to talk about that. Here's one. This is a weird thought. Do Roman doctors, do they refer to IVs as four? I, I don't know. I, I just have to wonder. Here's what, This is a big one for me. Why are there Braille dots on drive through ATM machines? Yeah, right. I have no idea. Okay, so here's one. If, if corn oil is made from corn, and if olive oil is made from olives, where do we get baby oil? Yeah, right. I have no idea. It makes no sense. If a cow laughs, does milk come out its nose? Yeah, don't you wonder that too? And here's the last one. I know it's the strangest of all, but when cheese gets its picture taken, what does it say? Yeah, I have no idea. Sometimes or often, my thoughts are weird. Every once in a while, they're normal. But let me tell you the truth about Harley. Sometimes my thoughts are actually harmful. I've had clinical depression. I have had uh, life-threatening depression. And here's the strange thing. It was all in my mind, all in my thoughts. And then for me, when you add to those thoughts, when you add stress and you add pressure and you add some kind of strong desire You know what happens in my life? It magnifies, it magnifies that thought and makes it bigger many, many times larger. Now, that makes my thoughts a very powerful influence on my life. Very powerful. It it has the potential to really direct my life. Our thoughts, mine specifically, they shape my view of myself And they shape my view of everything around me. And get this, every action that I have is preceded by a thought. Thoughts are powerful. Do you know what? Thoughts are also very revealing. The kinds of things running around my mind are also the things running my life. And sometimes ruining my life. Thoughts reveal the truth about my life. Your thoughts reveal the truth about your life, about our motivations. And get this, thoughts always leak. I can keep them stuffed down for a period of time. I can keep them hidden for a period of time. But eventually, those thoughts leak out of my life. everyone around me to see. They leak through what I say. They leak through how I say it. They leak through what I do. So listen, thoughts always, always eventually leak out of my life. There have been times when we have said to somebody, if you're with me on this, we've said oh my goodness i am so sorry for saying that i mean i mean it just it, it was just thoughtless of me to do that to say that and here's the reality i can just say a big wrong to that eh, not true we thought it and we did it we did exactly what we thought always That's why our mind, in your mind, our minds are so important that the evil one is actually fighting for control over our minds. And it's a very real battle. And it's all in our minds. You see, the enemy uses this battlefield called our thoughts and our minds. He uses it to gain ground in our life. He, he, he uses it to bring things up in our lives uh, to get us to step away from God and to move away from God. He reminds us of our past. He brings up our regrets and the things we're like, oh, that changed my life and I can't believe this about myself. He brings all that mess up. And he also brings up people in front of us, in our minds, people that we think have it better than we do. And all of that is an attempt to get us off track in life, to get us to step away from God and move away from God. This battle is happening all the time in our minds. He wants to convince us that actually it's us, that we are the real problem with everything in our lives. That we're the real problem. In fact, he wants you to convince us of this fact so that we can begin to develop self-hatred where we actually hate ourselves, the very creation of God. He wants to do that to also develop fear in our life and insecurity in our life and anxiety in our life. And it is all within our thoughts and our minds. This battle is very very unfair because the evil one never plays fair. In fact, Peter, whom we have been talking a lot about through this series, Peter said this, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. He says, "Hey, stay alert. Wake up. Stay alert." He said, "Watch out for your great enemy, the devil." He says, "He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour." Peter says, watch out. He's not going to play fair. Do you realize that evil one would rather hold our minds captive and torture us with all of those thoughts of self-hate and fear and anxiety? He wants to torture us in our minds for as long as he can, as long as possible, as long as we will allow him that access. And eventually, he will then just humiliate us in public. But he'd rather hold your mind and torture you. And all the New Covenant writers talk about this deal of our thoughts and our minds. And most of it is in the context of what we're talking about in this series, self-control. Controlling what happens here between my ears in our minds. So today, this morning, we're talking about self-control as it relates to what I think and what you think. But here's the problem for me. How do I make my mind mind? Because I've noticed my mind often does not want to mind. I've noticed that. I I often have very disobedient and, and, and rebellious thoughts right here. My mind often wants to go in a different direction. How do I make my mind mine? Because it can be wild. It it can run away with itself. My mind can. It can go spiraling down into a very dark place for me, into this place of self-hate. So the Apostle Paul, who We also have been talking a lot about, through this series, going to the words that God inspired him to write, and we're going to do that again this morning. Paul says this. He was inspired to write it. It's a letter he sent to the Ephesians, and we have a copy of it here today. And We're going to be at chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says this, with the Lord's authority, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do. And here's what he's saying. By saying Gentile, he's, he's not, uh, he's just saying people who are not following God, okay? He says, for they are hopelessly confused. He said, don't live that way anymore. You used to, but don't anymore. They're hopelessly confused. And he kind of describes it then. Verse 18. Their minds, talking about the mind here, their thoughts, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives. And here's why he says, because they have closed their, what? Their minds. They have closed their minds and that has hardened their hearts against him, against God. So this is very important. Where our mind goes, this is what Paul is saying, inspired to write this by God, where our mind goes, our heart follows. He goes on in verse 19. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. In other words, he's saying, whatever comes into their mind, they just go and do it. They just do that. And then he says, and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. In other words, they just go and do it, and they're really excited about it. Verse 20, he said, but this isn't what you learned about Christ. Verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, so here's what he's saying. Get ready. He's saying something's different. Something is changing. Something is going on. So let's see. When well, you heard the truth about him. So, verse 22 throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, he says, which is corrupted by lust and deception, all living right here in our minds. So, in other words, Paul is saying, hey, listen, take what God has given us, all right? So that's that fruit we talked about last week. Take what God has given us, that fruit. Self-control is part of that, all right, part of that fruit. Take what he's given us, in this case, the seeds of self-control, and do something with that because we are all part of this process of moving toward a changed and changing life. So take what he has given us, self-control, and do something with it. That is the part that we play. That is our part in this whole process of making, God making a new life. He said, put off that old stuff. Listen, here we go with this new stuff. Verse 23, instead, so instead of the old, let the Spirit renew your, what? Thoughts and attitudes. Okay, that's the spirit's part. Let him renew our thoughts and attitudes. In other words, let the old junk thinking and and mindset and thoughts, let the old junk out and hang on to this new stuff. Let the old out hang on to the new Here we go. Verse 24. Put on your new nature. And this is what we're talking about today. This is where it all leads. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. We are called and commanded to begin to think like Jesus thinks. Now, this is a big deal. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, you have the opportunity to kind of peek behind the curtain and see, okay, what, is, what am I into? What is coming ahead here if I choose to follow Jesus? So please don't leave. Please don't check out. You have the opportunity to see, here is part of this whole process. This is what lies further down the road when you say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be my boss. Let me restate that. It's not further down the road. It's next. He says, we are called to think the way Jesus thinks. We are called to have and develop the mind of Christ. But how? How do we develop the mind of Christ? Now listen, the Bible is full of all kinds of strategies on how to do this, and they are all excellent and good. But they all begin with what I'm going to be talking about today. They begin right here at this starting place. Now this is a little different how I'm going to handle this this morning. I'm going to tell you this starting place by kind of describing to you a story, kind of a scene, a little scene out of the movie of life, okay? But we're starting way back. This little scene we're taking happens uh, around the time that Jesus was walking this earth in the very first century. And we're going to use that culture and that context to kind of get an idea of what was going on then and how it applies still today, this very day. So I want to tell you a story. Uh, Let's go all the way back to a very small fishing village on the Sea of Galilee, which if they were on the Sea of Galilee, it was a fishing village. And when I say village, I mean we're talking about a town of a few hundred people made up of probably 10 families, just about 10 families-ish, somewhere in there. And so they were extended families that lived in a community within a community just a few hundred people. The name of the town is is Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Now, this was a very, very tiny town, a few hundred people. All right. But one of the cool things about Bethsaida, it was part of three little towns that were not all that far, walking distance from each other. And these three towns, walking distance from each other, for some reason, for some reason, Jewish people, Israelites, who were fervently following God, chasing after God, they seemed to gravitate to one of these or in this area of these three little bitty villages. Very strange. I mean, there were some big towns nearby, thousands and thousands of people. But those who were fervently chasing after God seemed, in many cases, to gravitate over the course of time to these three tiny villages. This one happened to be a fishing village. I want to give you some names. The name Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip. They were all from this little town, Bethsaida. All of them small little village. It had a local synagogue, though, and that synagogue, that little small local synagogue, had a rabbi. Now, the central focus of every synagogue in the first century was the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Covenant. You have a copy of those in English in your Bible. The first five books of the Old Covenant, written by Moses, inspired by God, And that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was all, that was the central focus of the synagogue. But added to that, then, the additional focus was also the Tanakh. And the Tanakh was the rest of the Old Covenant all the writings of the wisdom writers and the poets and the, the, um, the, uh, the, The prophecy people, they were all, the prophets, they were all in there. And that's the rest, the Tanah. And and that village in the synagogue, their life centered around the Torah and the Tanah, the entire old covenant. And the only place they could find the Torah and the Tanah was on scrolls inside of the synagogue and the rabbi would go and get a scroll, the scroll for whatever was the topic of that day, and he would open it up, and he would unroll parts of it so they could see the words. And they would often touch the words and touch their lips like, this is honey to my mouth, to my lips, the taste of your words, because the words were everything. They were the words of life. They were the words that God wrote for them, words that told them who God was, and words that told them who they were. They were the words that would point to and lead toward life, and that was the only place they could see them. And so they would come, and they would gather at the synagogue, and they would listen, and they would discuss, and they would be taught they would listen and ask questions. Now in all of the communities in this village as well, when the children were around the age of five, they would start school at the synagogue. It would be like their elementary school. It was called Bet Sefer. And that word means house of book. In other words, house of the book, the Torah. And there that five-year-old would begin the process of learning how to read, and they would learn how to write, and, and they would also begin memorizing much of the Torah. And so by the time they finished this elementary school, Bet Safer, by the time they finished at the age of 12, they could read and they could write. But guess what? They also had much of the Torah memorized. Genesis memorized. Exodus memorized. Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy memorized. That's pretty impressive. And after that, about the age of 12, the rabbi would send almost all of the students home to join the family business. And in this case, at Bethsaida, the family businesses were all fishing. Fishing. And they would be sent home about the age of 12, and they were not good enough, according to the rabbi, to advance to that next level. So most of them went home. But a few, just a handful of 12-year-olds would advance to the next level. The next level of school was Bet Midrash, which means house of study. And there From the age of 12 on, they would begin studying and understanding and applying, applying to their lives, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Covenant. And then also applying to their lives and studying the Tanah, the rest of the Old Covenant. And they would add to that the oral traditions uh, that had been passed down generation to generation. And here, From the age of 12 on, they would also memorize much of the rest of the Old Covenant books. Now, some of these students, even fewer now, would go further to the next step of education. Now, this was the best of the best of the best, and only a very tiny few would advance to become a Talmud. Now, Talmud is the Hebrew word for disciple. Disciple. How do you become a disciple in the first century? How does that happen? How do you become a Talmud? Well, we think of it as, well, yeah, you got to go to school and you got to learn everything that your teacher is teaching you. You got to learn it all. Everything they know, you need to learn it. That's what we think that that means. But it's so much more than that. I mean, that's just a very tiny part of that. There's so much more. If someone wants to be a Talmud, it's not just knowing what the rabbi knows, but it means this. Someone wants to be what the rabbi is. Now, a hopeful Talmud, a hopeful disciple, would identify a rabbi, whether it's in their village or another village. It was a rabbi that they wanted to be like, a rabbi that they wanted to think like, a rabbi they wanted to live like, and they would approach that rabbi and they would say to the rabbi uh, something like, may I follow you? And the rabbi was not too quick at this. He would watch them and he would study them, and he would test them. And if the rabbi thought that they had what it took to develop the rabbi's yoke, which means in the first century, the rabbi's way of thinking and living, if the rabbi thought that they could take their yoke upon them and they could live like them and think like them and be like them and then take that yoke, that way of thinking to the rest of the world around them, then the rabbi would say, come, follow me. And the goal of the Talmud, the goal of the disciple was to become like his rabbi, to think like his rabbi thinks, to live like his rabbi lives. And you know that's exactly what Jesus was describing when Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6 verse 40. He said students, now the Greek word for that was the Greek word for disciples, so we can say disciples are not greater than their teacher. And here is how he qualifies this to make this statement make sense. But the student, the disciple who is fully trained will become like the teacher, These are the words of Jesus. The goal of the Talmud, of the student, the disciple, is to become like the teacher. And this would continue for the Talmud, this disciple, his process, until he became a full fledged rabbi or scribe somewhere around the age of 30. This is what would continue. But until that point, That Talmud would live with the rabbi, would travel everywhere the rabbi went, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every single day, watching, listening, learning, all for the reason for him to become like the rabbi. And it's more than just knowing scripture, it's more than just wanting to know what the rabbi knows but you would add to that a passion that says, I, with everything in me, want to be like that rabbi. There was a saying in the first century. It was kind of a blessing. It said, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. May the dust of your rabbi cover you. In other words, as your rabbi is walking, may you follow him so closely. May you pursue him so passionately, so closely, that the dust that kicks up from his sandals as he's walking is all over you. You are covered by the dust of your rabbi because you have followed him so closely. And the closer they followed the rabbi, the more they thought like him, the more they made choices like him. So for us today, in May of 2021, 2,000 years later, how do we do what we talked about in the beginning? How do we develop the mind of Christ. How do we do that? How is it possible for us to be a disciple, a Talmud of Jesus? How is it possible? Because if you haven't noticed, Jesus hasn't been walking among us like he walked among us in some time, 2,000 years. But here's the first part of that answer. The closer we follow Jesus, the more we think like Jesus and the more we choose like Jesus. Now let's go back to our fishing village. 2,000 years earlier, and there was Peter and Andrew, James and John and Philip, all working the family trade, fishing village, tiny fishing village. But the key thing here is they were fishing, which means to us that since they were in the family business, since they were fishermen. They were fishing. At some point in their lives, a rabbi looked at them and told them, you are not good enough. You've gone as far as you can go. It's time for you to go home and join the family business. You won't be continuing your education. You're not good enough. You will never be a Talmud. You'll never be a disciple of a rabbi. And they were told to go home, and they did. And then some years later, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, all working. And along comes this new rabbi into their village. Jesus, God himself. Now get this. Instead of people coming up to him and asking, can I follow you? No, 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 no. Jesus walks up to them. He walks up to them. Jesus chooses them. And he says, Peter, you, huh? You come follow me. Jesus says, I choose you. What happens? Peter follows him simple as that. He drops everything and he follows him. Now listen, in the beginning, Peter did not have the mind of Christ. Peter did not have the thoughts of Christ. No. This was the Peter who was, I'm not good enough. This was the Peter who had that kind of mind. I am rejected. I am not good enough. That's the kind of thinking Peter had. But he dropped everything and he followed Jesus. He left his family. He left his career all to become like Jesus. Because when a rabbi said, come follow me, he said, you have what it takes. And in this case, I'm going to give you what it takes. Peter followed Jesus so closely that Peter was covered in the dust of his rabbi. As Jesus walked, Peter was there. And slowly, over the course of time, the time that Peter spent with Jesus hours upon hours, and then days upon days, hanging on every teaching of Jesus through that time, taking uh, and, and paying attention to every decision that Jesus was making, every word that Jesus was choosing. And Peter hanging on every word, slowly over the course of time, Peter developed. The mind of Christ. And my friends, so will we. Today, 2,000 years later, Jesus is not physically right here. But my friends, He is here. He is here. And He is living. And he is active, and he is here. We actually have the mind of Christ right here, the very thoughts of God right here. We have God's Word today the words that tell us who he is and the words that tell us who we are and the words that bring us life. And we also have God's very spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have his very spirit within you to guide you through his words and into his way writer of Hebrews. We're not sure who it is, but here's what the writer of Hebrews had to say. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the Word of God is alive. Guess what? Jesus, <laughs> He's alive. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper then the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting both between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts, there they are, and desires which come from thoughts. Verse 13, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God through his word. Listen to what we're talking about. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. And we have all of that. The mind of Christ. The thoughts of God himself. We have all of that in this very collection, this library book inspired collection of writings called the New Covenant. All divinely inspired by God, His thoughts in writing. Now, listen again to what we said. The closer we follow Jesus, The more we think like Jesus, the more we choose like Jesus. And here's the next part of that thought. And the best way to be around him, Jesus, today is through his words. And I believe that Jesus is saying through his words right now to you and to you to you. I believe at this moment, he is saying to us through his words, to all of us who have been listening to the wrong thoughts, to all of us who have been listening to the wrong voices, to all of the left outs who are here today, to all of the not good enoughs who are here today, to all the, you might as well give ups. That are here today. He says to you. You. Come. Follow me. And by the way. Stick close. Stick close to me. Jesus says to us. I will develop the mind of Christ in you. And here's our last point. We will never think like Jesus until we constantly surround ourselves with his thinking. Let me say that again. We will never think like Jesus. We will never have the mind of Christ until we constantly surround ourselves with his thinking. So that brings us to our one next step today. And here it is. I spent a good portion of this week trying to get ready for this next step. And I created for you a a new website. I took some old stuff that was no longer applicable or... or, you know, it was the wrong kind of software language, and I rewrote the whole thing, and I updated it all this week, and now we have a brand new website called powerpackonline.com. There it is right there. That's the website I created for you. powerpackonline.com with one purpose, to help us develop a way to get the mind of Christ To surround ourselves with his thinking, his thoughts, so that we can develop the very mind of Christ and his spirit will do that in us. This is an imperfect tool. This is not something that we can do out of obligation to say, well, Harley said, I need to do it. And if I don't do it, I'm going to feel guilty. No, 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 no. It's not out of obligation because I promised you out of obligation, it won't work. You will not develop the mind of Christ ever out of obligation, but only through chasing after Jesus, getting so close to Jesus that you are covered by his dust. The closer we follow Jesus, the more we think like Jesus and choose like Jesus. And the best way to be around him today is through his word. And so we created that tool and we invite you to use it. You're just invited is all. Because in order for us to be like Jesus, we have to passionately choose to follow so closely to Him that His dust is all over us. And eventually, over the course of time, we will think the way He thinks. And we will live the way He lived. And we will develop. He will develop in us the mind of Christ. We will never think like Jesus until we constantly surround ourselves with His thinking. And I just simply lay that challenge out there for you. I have no way to track it. No, you know how we track things? In lives that are changing. That's how. And we just simply invite you on this journey. The Power Pack Online, it's PowerPackOnline.com. It's simply a tool. It's an imperfect tool. There may be a better one for you out there. But this is just simply one I've wanted to provide you, just in case you don't have one. A way for you. A way for you to surround yourself with the mind of Christ and pursue Him as a Talmud, a disciple. Because He has chosen you. The instructions are on the website. If you don't have access to a computer, if you'll look under the TVs, we've got a thing that says uh, Daily Habits. A little handout under the TV in the lobby. It's the one that says Daily Habits. There's some information in there that'll get you started. That will too. There's more information on the website. I encourage you to go there. Let's pray. Jesus, your words are still powerful to this very day you have the power to change my life, to change my thinking, to give me your mind, the mind of Christ. If I will just simply devour your words, if I will follow you closely and pursue you through your words, Jesus, forgive us for just living and leaving you out there and leaving you out of our lives. Forgive us. Forgive us for calling ourselves Christ followers when we really were never chasing after you. May we prove by the way that we live that you really are our Lord. May we sit at your feet, Jesus, our rabbi, our savior. May we be covered by the dust of you, our rabbi, our redeemer. So be it. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.